Hello and welcome to the Alive Church in Newark podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. We hope that you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged and inspired to pursue the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message. So good, so good. Well, um, we're uh, we're currently in a uh, in a in a teaching series all about the life of David, uh, and it's called David after God's own heart. And uh, and in this in this series, uh, we've been largely focusing on on the life of David, right? Reading the stories about David, what he did, where he went, uh, in the book of First Samuel, Second Samuel, uh, and we read this amazing story of uh, of God who takes this uh, this insignificant shepherd boy, transforms him into a giant slayer, and then goes on to transform him into a king server and then transforms him to a king. And we see this amazing story of David's life, and it's great. Uh, And we can read all about David, as I say, in these two books. But we may also not only read about David, but we may also read from David, right? David was an author. He wrote stuff. He wrote songs that we call Psalms. And, uh, and in fact, in the book of Psalms, in the Bible, uh, 70 of the 150 Psalms that are found in the Bible are written by David. So, uh, so he's, got a lot, he's got a lot to write about. Uh, and, uh, and I think perhaps one of the most famous Psalms that David wrote, uh, in fact, probably one of the most famous Psalms in the Bible is Psalm 23. You heard of that? Yeah? Psalm 23? So good, so good. I love Psalm 23, and I've been reading it. Uh, I've been reading it uh, this week, and I've been studying it as well, and reading uh, what other people have to say about it. Uh, Bible scholars reckon that um, uh, Psalm 23 was written towards the end of David's kingship, right? Towards the end of David's life, and the reason for that is because it's got some uh, some nostalgic tones. It's quite a calming psalm. I don't know if you've read many of the psalms of David, but a lot of them, uh, it gets really quite het up, right? It gets quite anxious. You can feel it in his writing, you know, when he's saying things like, my enemies are surrounding me and all this. And uh, when I read these kind of psalms, I, I can almost imagine David cowering behind a rock, crouching down, writing the psalm as he's there with his enemies surrounding him. That's, that's the way I, I kind of read. That's probably not what happened. He probably waited to get back to his desk. Uh, but, uh, but that's how I imagine it anyway. Uh, but Psalm 23 is different. Psalm 23 has a mature and a calming tone to it. And this is why uh, biblical scholars believe that it was written towards the end of David's, uh, David's kingship. And, uh, and I think this is really great because it means really that David is kind of looking back on his life. He's looking back on his life, a life, long life spent with God, and he's looking back and, uh, and that's great because we can use uh, David's uh, insight, David's hindsight uh, into, uh, into what that looks like as we are looking forward to our lives with God. We look forward, even the oldest among us in this room, we're still looking forward to a life with God. Hey, yeah? Because God's not finished with anybody just yet. And, uh, and so we're kind of looking forward, David's uh, kind of writing, he's looking backwards, and, uh, and so we're looking on this same thing, which is this life spent with God, and, uh, and I think it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Ooh, we've got a wobbly table. We've got a wobbly table. Um, so uh, so let's, let's just crack on, shall we? Yeah? Everyone good with that? Psalm 23. You can find it in your Bible uh, right after Psalm 22. If you hit Psalm 24, you've gone too far. What I've done as well is I have uh, put it on a slide, and you'll notice you can't read it from your seats. 
because the text is too small, so I apologize for that. Uh, but, uh, but I know that everyone here in this place has got a paper Bible that they've brought with them anyway. And so you can read it in there. And this week, uh, this week I thought we'd do something a bit different. Because as I was reading this psalm and, uh, and asking God, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to your church this week? Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I heard God say, he said, look, don't, you don't come up with any points, right, in your silly, you know, three-point preach. We don't need it. Just let me speak. Just let me speak to my people. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to read the psalm. I'm going to do a bit more than that, but, uh, but we're going to read through this psalm and, uh, and see what it is that God has to say to us. How does that sound? I'm going to pray. So Lord, as we read your word this morning, uh, I ask that you would speak to us. Would you speak to every single person in this room, Lord? Uh, would you convict our hearts? Uh, would, you, would, you, would, you, would you whisper in our ear what it is that you want to say to us this morning, Lord? We want to hear straight from you this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's begin. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David opens this psalm really in an incredibly personal way. right? See, often in the psalms and in fact the Bible, God is referred to as the rock, a rock, a shield, a rampart, which basically just means shield but in cooler language. Uh, he's referred to, uh, he's referred to as, as lots of different things. But here, David is referring to, uh, to God as his shepherd. Right? This is a personal relationship uh, for David. Now, when we call God our shepherd, it's nice. It's nice, isn't it? You know, we read that in the Bible. God is our shepherd. And we read in the New Testament, Jesus is described as a shepherd over his sheep. And it's great. But when David uses this word shepherd, um, it brings an entirely new meaning. Because David truly knows what it means to be a shepherd. Because David, don't forget, was a shepherd. That's where God found him in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. When, uh, when God uh, found David, he was a shepherd. And so David knows what a shepherd is. David has been there in the fields at night watching over his sheep. David has been there uh, when he has been pulling his sheep out of hedges. He's been there when he has been fighting off bears. He's been there getting frustrated when the sheep go off course. David has been there when he loves and he cares for his sheep. David knows what it means to be a shepherd. And so when David declares this, the Lord is my shepherd. David is saying all this care, this adoration, this devotion that I had for my sheep so many years ago, I know that God has that for me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Let it be known. You know, it's difficult often for us to describe the relationship between us and God, isn't it? Don't don't you find? It's just me. It's really difficult to describe that relationship between a person and God. You know, uh, even in the Bible, there's so much different language used. Um, We are the bride of Christ. We are the army of Christ. God is our provider. God is our sustainer. God is our shepherd. God is our father. We are also co-heirs with Jesus. There's lots of different ways, and it's a complex. And so David has done the best that he knows how. By using uh, the, the, the relationship that he knows best, that of a, a shepherd and his sheep. And he said, this is it. This is who God is to me. 
And I think, I think that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. The Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> Here's a question. When you read this, this first line, I'm aware that we haven't got off the first line yet, 20 minutes in. <clears throat> when you read this, get comfy, yeah. When, when you read this, uh, this line, the Lord is my shepherd, I wonder where you put the emphasis. I wonder where you put the emphasis. Do you say, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Or do you say, the Lord is my shepherd? I wonder how you say it. See, to, to emphasize shepherd means to emphasize the relationship, doesn't it? It emphasizes who God is, as we've just talked about, uh, and how David, uh, David is describing God. The Lord is my shepherd. We're talking about shepherd. But when we emphasize the Lord is my shepherd, we get a, we get a, a, a different uh, or a, another meaning, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd is someone that we follow, isn't it? Yeah? And, and we all follow stuff. We all follow things all the time. We follow people on social media, don't we? Uh, we follow celebrities. We follow uh, political ideologies. Uh, we follow the news. We're followers. That's what we do. We follow people. We follow things. That's just part of what it is to be human. But a shepherd is different because, you see, a shepherd has authority uh, over those that follow him, right? We'd all agree with that, yeah? And, uh, and a shepherd influences what their followers do and uh, where their followers go. This is what a shepherd does. And so I wonder, here's a challenge for you this morning. Who's your shepherd? Who is your shepherd this morning? To whom do you give the authority to decide what is best for you? To whom do you look for for direction? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Who decides where you go, what you do? Is it a social media influencer? Joe Wicks? Is it another celebrity? Maybe you think uh, that you're doing a fairly good job. You can do a fairly good job of being your own shepherd. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, but David knew who his shepherd was. David knew. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, I can imagine David at the, uh, at the end of his kingship as he's looking back on this long life spent with God. I can imagine him uh, looking back. And, and David, uh, he, he, was a, he was a good guy. He was a powerful guy. He was a good king. Uh, he was, uh, people loved him. People adored him. People, uh, people really got on board with him. They followed him. And, uh, and you know, he's kind of like a, a cross between know, the queen Joe Wicks and somebody else who's really good. I don't know. I can't think of anyone. Mine's gone blank. Just introduced. I don't like him, but anyway. Uh, somebody really good. Anyway, David was this of Israel uh, in, uh, in the year 1000 BC. And, uh, and so if anybody in Israel in 1000 BC uh, could have said of themselves that they were their own shepherd, I believe it could have been David. But not David. Not David. David declares the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Always has been, always will be. Through every battle, through every time that I've failed, of which there are many, through every time that I've got something right, through which there are also many, through everything, the Lord has been my shepherd. And the Lord will continue to be my shepherd. 
on this life that we're on, on this, on this life that, uh, that we're living, I believe anyway that we need a shepherd. Because we've got things to do. We've got, uh, we've got a mission to take part in. We've got responsibilities to uphold. Uh, we've, we've, got, we've got things that we need to do. And on this journey from birth to death, let's be honest, it's difficult. Yeah? It's difficult. And, uh, and so I think, anyway, we need a shepherd. I don't know if you've ever been on a, uh, on a guided tour. A few years ago, Sam and I, uh, Sam and I got to go to Israel. It was absolutely amazing. We went to Israel, we saw all the things, and uh, while we were there, we were led by a tour guide, right? We were led by a guy who, uh, who knew all the things, and he, uh, he took us to all the best places to eat, and he took us uh, to all the sites and all the, all, the, all the places of significance around Israel and, and the surrounding area. No, in Israel, not the surrounding area, we didn't leave Israel. Um, and, uh, and he showed us all the things. And, uh, and he showed us, you know, he pointed to, uh, to walls and he said, this is the wall where in the Bible we read that and, and this is it. And we were like, wow, wow, this is, that's the wall. And, uh, and then he took us to a field and he said, hey, hey, remember the battle in, in, in the Chronicles? This is the field where the battle was. And we were like, wow, this is the field where the battle was. And at one point he took us, to, uh, he took us on this big cliff thing and, uh, and it was like a big valley uh, right in front of us, and, uh, and we looked out over this valley, and, uh, and he said, hey, you know the battle uh, that's going to happen, book of Revelation, right here. And we were like, wow, that's where the battle in Revelation is going to be. And, uh, and he, he told us all about these things. But if we didn't have the tour guide, if we didn't have the guide, it's just a field. We wouldn't have known. We wouldn't have known, but this guide was able to, uh, to lead us and he was able to, uh, uh, we were able to get the best out of our trip uh, because we were with somebody who knew what they were doing, right? And it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was great. It was a really great trip. But for us to, uh, to go through this life and to, be, uh, and, and to get the best out of this life, this John 10.10 life of uh, fullness that Jesus is so desperate for us to have in order for us to get the best out of this life, then we better be guided by the one who created it. What better guide is there than the one who created it in the first place? The Lord is my shepherd. So good, so good. That's line one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. From verse 2 to 3, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. When David was, uh, was out in the field looking after his sheep, he knew what was best for them, right? He knew, uh, he knew where to take them when they needed water. He knew when they needed water. Uh, he knew uh, the best way to, uh, to take care of his sheep. And, uh, and during uh, David's life as a, uh, as a warrior, uh, David fought many battles. God led him into, into many different battles. David saw many different victories, and he overcame lots and lots of enemies. David's, uh, David's life, even before he became king, was a packed life. And, uh, and finally, after a few years of, uh, of doing this, of battles and, uh, and all this kind of stuff, and don't forget at the time he was serving King Saul as well. He was a terrible king. Uh, but, uh, but after all these years, um, his promise finally 
came, uh, came true. Right? He was finally made king over Israel. Uh, he was promised it many years ago in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, and it didn't happen all the way until 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, and, uh, and he's finally made king. And so you'd think that when David is made king and Israel's finally given this incredible uh, king, much better than the old king, you'd think that it's a cause uh, to go out and to fight more battles and to take more ground and to see more victories because Israel finally has uh, a good king, a king that is a man after God's own heart. And so that's what I'd assume we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna celebrate this we're gonna go we're gonna do stuff but that's not what happens that's not what happens at all because right now David needs rest and so in second Samuel chapter one uh, sorry chapter seven and verse one uh, we read this after the king was settled in his palace the Lord gave him rest from all his enemies around him Now is the time for rest. Now is the time for rest. And God knows that at this time, David needs rest. You know, sometimes it's difficult for us to know what we need, isn't it? Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we think we need action when really we need rest. Sometimes we think we need rest when really we need action. But God knows what it is that we need, and, uh, and the Bible says uh, that he makes us lie down in green pastures. Sometimes we need to be made to lie down in green pastures, hey? Yeah? So good. There's a great deal of, uh, of refreshing uh, nourishment uh, in, these, uh, in these verses, uh, you know, sort of being led uh, by God to this place of shalom. Uh, it's a revitalization of, of ourselves. Uh, in verse 3, he refreshes my soul. In, uh, in Hebrew, we're not just talking about like a, a soul like we might understand a soul. Uh, but actually, uh, the, the Hebrew concept of soul is uh, it's, it's, it's everything. It's our very being. It's everything. It's, it's spiritual. It's physical. It's mental. It's us, the essence of who we are, and God refreshes us. And in so being refreshed, we allow ourselves to be guided along the right path, the Bible says. And that's exactly what happened for David. Uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God gives him rest from his enemies, uh, we read this. Then King David went and sat before the Lord. Then King David went and sat before the Lord. And he says this. He actually goes on to, uh, uh, to, to pray. Uh, this, this wonderful prayer of, uh, of praise and worship towards God. And it just starts like this. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? God brings rest and revitalization and uh, leads us to a place where we are able to sit in front of the Lord, just in his presence, just in his presence. The refreshment of the soul and the rest that only comes from God leads us along this right path and directly into the presence of God for his name's sake, 
That's what it says, for his name's sake. Because it's only from this, uh, this place of rest, of this place of shalom in the presence of the Lord that we, can know, uh, that we can truly know that we're going in the right direction, that we can truly know uh, what it is that God is saying to us, that we can truly hear from him. Because otherwise there's static around, there's noise, there's other things speaking into our lives. But when we sit and we focus in the presence of God, we can hear from him. And being in the presence of God is a powerful and really important place to be because of the next verse in Psalm uh, 23. It says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David makes no secret of the hardships that he's faced in his life. And David's seen it all. He's seen deception, uh, he's seen violence, he's seen battle, he's seen treachery, he's seen a lot of stuff. He's seen stuff, uh, some pretty dark valleys, I would say. Darker than anything I'm ever likely to face, certainly. He's seen some, some really, uh, really dark stuff. And, uh, and uh, by this point in his life, David's looking back. And in this verse, he's able to declare that regardless of where he's been and regardless of where his uh, winding path takes him next, he will not fear. Why? Because the Lord is with him. Because the Lord is with him. The trouble is, though, is that David is never spared from the darkest valley. He's still got to walk through it. David doesn't write, and you've spared me from the darkest valley. He says, no, even though I walk through it, it's happening. He must still encounter it. Nowhere does the Bible ever promise, ever that those that are faithful and those that follow God will be immune from the evils of this world, will be immune from, uh, from uh, I don't know, the plans of the enemy or, or, or other people or, or whatever else, all that stuff that's going on. Nowhere does the Bible say we're immune from that. But the difference is, is that those who are faithful to God need not face those things by themselves. The presence of God goes before us. And we read, in fact, in Matthew 28, Jesus extends uh, this even further. And Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you know, I know a lot of the time when we're in it, when we're in this, this dark valley, We'd much prefer to be whisked off, wouldn't we? Yeah? We'd much prefer to be whisked off away from the darkness of the valley. We'd much rather be spared from what it is that we're going through. And yet we're not. And yet we're not. But God will sustain us. And he uh, will be with us. And we will come out of the other side. And through the experience of what it is that we go through, we will become aware of just what it is that we're capable of with God. We will be aware of just what it is that God can do in us and through us. See, here's the thing. If David hadn't been made to fight bears away from his sheep in the fields, he wouldn't have learnt how to slay giants. If David, uh, you know, if, if, if he hadn't um, been forced to serve King Saul, who was his terrible king, uh, if he hadn't been forced to serve him humbly, then uh, David wouldn't have been, uh, wouldn't have learned what it is to be a good king. 
And if David hadn't faced battles and treachery and violence and and all those things that he faced, uh, then I don't believe David would have known what it truly means to be a man after God's own heart. We have to walk through the darkest valley to see what it is that God is going to do. That is the reality. The phrase that's used, though, in Hebrew is this phrase uh, for uh, darkest valley. Uh, It's uh, salmavit. Salmavit. Say that. Salmavit. There you go. Say it with a slight northern twang. And it doesn't just mean darkest valley, it actually means, uh, it actually means death. That's what it means. And some translations translate it as uh, the valley of death, and that's actually a more accurate translation of, uh, of what it is. Because David, don't forget, at this point in his life, he's been through so much, but he still hasn't encountered death. There's still death to encounter. And this is a scary prospect uh, for David, because don't forget, at this point in history, Jesus hasn't yet conquered death, Right? Jesus hasn't yet conquered death. But this verse that David writes, this is amazing. This verse that David writes uh, is prophetically aligned with the truth that we now know. When David declares that he will fear no evil even through the darkest valley, we now know uh, that, uh, that through Jesus, who has conquered death, that we need not fear death, that we need not fear the darkest valley. What was written 3,000 years ago finds so much significance in our lives today through the blood of Jesus Christ. Death is not to be feared because he is with us. Only the Lord can lead us through. Only the Lord can lead us through. And if death is not to be feared, what else is there? What else is there? What could possibly come close? Now, moving on, David says uh, that it is the rod and the staff of God that bring him comfort. The rod and the staff of God, these are signs. The rod is a sign, a symbol of protection. Right? It was a tool used by shepherds to fight away predators. And, uh, and that's what the rod did. Uh, that's what the shepherd used the rod for. And uh, the staff, and the staff is a, is a symbol, it's a sign of discipline and authority. Right? It was used by the shepherd to sort of poke sheep a bit. And uh, make sure they're on the right course. That's what the staff is used for. And, uh, and so these things are the things that gives David comfort. And I thought it was weird, and I think it's weird if, uh, if, unless we look. Um, why is it that the discipline of God gives comfort? It's not two things that we usually associate together, is it? You know, usually we think discipline. Uh, don't tell me what to do. I don't think so. Uh, but... Uh, but it, David is declaring that it is the discipline of God that brings comfort. Why? Because it's by God's discipline that David knows that he's going in the right direction. Hey, it's by the discipline that David knows. See, when David moves away from the discipline of God, things go horribly wrong. And David experiences the consequences. Uh, some of you may know the story of David and Bathsheba. It's not a good one. It's not a good one. Uh, David, effectively what happens is uh, he has an affair with, uh, with one of his men's wives. While the man is away in battle, David has an affair. He gets her pregnant. It's not good. It's suboptimal situation. And uh, what he tries, to, he tries to cover it up, which doesn't work. And so then he decides that he's going to kill the wife's husband. 
So uh, David's not a perfect person. Let's be under no, no illusion here at all. Uh, and, uh, and so all of this stuff is going against what God uh, has. It's going against the discipline of God. And David suffers for it. He suffers and what he experiences over the next few verses, you'll read it. Uh, and, uh, you'll read it. Uh, but David experiences uh, some, some significant consequences. And it's not until David is able to realign himself with the discipline of God and come back under the authority of God and acknowledge who is king uh, that David once again is restored and he's able to enjoy the shalom. And so David knows what it is uh, to be comforted through the discipline of God. David knows. I'd, I'd like to notice this as well. In verse 1 to 3 of this psalm, we read of this shepherd, don't we? A shepherd who's sort of ahead and he's leading, uh, leading, the, leading the pack. And there's this sort of sheep to, uh, to shepherd relationship going on. But here's the thing, verse 4, where we are now. We no longer see really a shepherd uh, ahead, but actually we see a friend alongside we actually see uh, someone to escort. The one who is alongside is armed with a rod to protect us and a staff to guide us. And he's walking us through. He's walking us through. He's walking us through. Where's he walking us through to? Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Now, we've read... My cup overflows. Sorry. My cup overflows. Now, we've read uh, of the protection and, uh, and uh, the, well, the protection of God uh, from death and the protection of God from, uh, from various things, from dark valleys, and protection and survival. These are, uh, these are really great things, and they come through the Lord, and they're one thing, absolutely. But what we're reading here in verse 4, uh, uh, 5, sorry, this is different because this is victory. And this is triumph. Now, the feast that's described here in verse 5, it's not just sustenance. It's not just, you know, oh, my energy's low and so I'm going to eat. Uh, you know, we had sustenance in verse 2 to 3. We already know that God sustains us. Uh, but here in verse 5, we see a, a, a meal, a feast of victory with enemies present as captives to declare the victory. And, uh, and David declares the victory that only comes through God. Because he's seen it firsthand many, many times on the battlefield, hasn't he? We know that. We know that. And so he's looking back on his life and he's declaring these victories. And for us, the greatest victory uh, that we can experience is Jesus' victory over death, isn't it? Amen. In this world where death reigned temporarily between uh, the, uh, the, the fall in, uh, in the Garden of Eden... And, uh, and Jesus' victory over death, this victory is the greatest and biggest victory uh, that we can experience and understand because the God of the Bible is the God of victory. The God of the Bible is the God of victory. He wins battles in our lives and he's won the ultimate battle for our life. Wow. So good. So good. Uh, David, uh, David describes that his head is anointed with oil. And, uh, and we read a few weeks ago that, uh, that Samuel anointed David's head with oil, right? And, uh, and this idea of anointing uh, someone's head with oil, it's a, uh, it's a sign, it's a symbolic uh, gesture. Uh, royalty were 
anointed with oil. Priests were anointed with oil. Uh, this is an identity thing. Uh, and again, this... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, this, uh, this, this idea of, uh, of, of what is written 3,000 years ago being still relevant for us now. Because uh, we read in, uh, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 this. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This speaks of of us, uh, those who follow Jesus, those who are faithful to God, being set apart people. Just as David is describing through this anointing of oil here, what was written then is relevant now. This is awesome. We are uh, appointed and anointed by God. We are declared co-heirs with Jesus. Our heads are symbolically anointed with oil, just as David's was, as we receive the victory that only comes through Jesus. And as we receive the identity that God bestows upon us. That's what this is. That's what the anointing is. It's an identity. And it's one that we receive. And so finally, David then. Confident in his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Confident in his shepherd. Confident in his, in his rest and in his nourishment. Confident in his protection. And confident in his victory. He writes this in Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The goodness and love of God are always available. And despite what David's uh, previous situations may have suggested to him, despite what may have, have gone on, what he's faced in the past, Despite oftentimes David's presence not matching up with his promise. Despite all of this, David speaks of the love and the goodness of God. And this phrase, this phrase, follows me. It doesn't just mean, you know, behind, bringing up the rear, carrying the bags. It doesn't mean that. It means to pursue. It means actually uh, to chase down, to chase after. The love of God will chase you down. You can't outrun it. It sound familiar? It should do, because uh, in, uh, in Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 18, it says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, everyone in this room, uh, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Jesus Christ. And David is sure of his future, that he will dwell in the house of the Lord. What does that mean? Church? Little tent that he had? No. Dwelling in the presence of God. The, uh, the house of the Lord, actually, uh, the phrase, it actually speaks of God's family. Again, we're brought back to this personal relationship. We're speaking of God's family in this place. This is what David is declaring. And again, it's echoed. Is echoed in Romans 8 and chapter, uh, Romans 8, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. David's psalm of adoration in Psalm 23 echoes through the ages. It's just as relevant now uh, as when David wrote it 3,000 years ago. In fact, I would say it's truer than it's ever been. It finds more truth. It finds more, uh, uh, more understanding in the new covenant, in what Jesus did on the cross. So much more of what David wrote is fulfilled in this. And, uh, and this is incredible. This is our God. He is our shepherd. He is our comforter. He is our protector. He is our victor. And he is our father. This is God. This is Jesus. This is who we worship. And that's Psalm 23. Amen. Amen. I hope God's spoken to you today. I really do. And I'd encourage you to go home and, and read, uh, read, this, read this verse yourself, this, um, this psalm. Because it's got so many truths in it that are true for you. They are true for me. They are true for all of us. And they're such powerful truths. They're such powerful truths. And you know, it's really... Uh, the, the, mis- the mission of the church... Is, 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 that, um, is that we tell people this truth. We give everybody the opportunity, we give as many people as we can the opportunity to accept or reject this truth. That's our job. That's what God's asked us to do. And so we just put it in people's hands and we say, hey, this is, this is it, take it or leave it. And every single person in Newark, it's our mission to give them the opportunity to know God. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to say, say a prayer. And uh, this prayer is super easy. Your child could pray it. And, uh, and this is a, it's a prayer of uh, acknowledgement. It's a prayer of commitment. And we pray this every single week because we feel it's important, as I just said, uh, to give the opportunity to accept Jesus. And so if there's anybody in this place today who wants the love of Jesus who has read Psalm 23 along with me today and, uh, and wants some of that. Who acknowledges that they need a shepherd. Because frankly, pretty naff as my own shepherd. I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd who's a comforter, who's a victor, who's a father. And so we're going to pray this prayer. And if it's you this morning, you're saying for the first time, yeah, I want that. Because I've tried doing it my way and it doesn't work. And so I'm going to do it the Jesus way. I don't have all the answers. I've got a lot of questions, in fact. Never mind about that. Let's get things right. So if this is you, then what I'd like you to do is raise your hand after we've prayed this prayer together. Thanks so much for joining with us. We hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did enjoy, you can subscribe to hear more from Alive Church Newark. You can share this message with your friends or you can share on your social media pages. We hope and pray you have a great week and meet with God. God bless you.